Hello there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com slash resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Guys, it's, it's been a little while since we've done a sermon talk back. Um, I, I guess some of it's my fault. We've just been, I've had some busy Mondays. Hmm. Labor Day, um, I was out last Monday, uh, maybe some other things. But anyway, we're back. The sermon talk back is back and better than ever. And I'm joined today by everyone's favorite sermon talk back guest, Jennifer McClish. <laughs> And this other guy, Barrett like, Fisher. Yeah. You know, we just, always need a third. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Barrett the, was there. The third wheel. Uh, I'll take it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're excited kidding. to yes. have this conversation. Um, but we have been in, we started a couple of weeks ago, this series in Nehemiah. Um, we're going to be in the little journey through Nehemiah for, for a few weeks, kind of through the bulk of the fall. Uh, and I'm excited about it. I think it 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 speaks a lot to us right now. One of the things I talked about last week was kind of how these post-exilic books are kind of interesting to think about in a 21st century American context. We're we're not in a time of like oppression in a sense, as the church is somewhere in the world, but we are in a time where the people that we are under, if you will, um, see the world in a different way than we do. Um, and so again, I think just, there's just so much wisdom and truth and, and help in the word of God. So I, th- I think it's an important book to be studying. Hmm. Absolutely. So speaking of the old Testament, um, Jason, I, I thought you've done well to kind of give somewhat of a framework of understanding the old Testament, you know, a book like Nehemiah, if, if we just kind of parachute in, it's hard to know where in history we are, where in the Old Testament we are. And I think people get really confused because the Old Testament is actually, the books are not ordered chronologically. And I think our minds oftentimes just think chronologically. So we kind of assume like, you know, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, that it's just kind of a, a straight timeline through that. But it's not. Uh, so it it goes chronological for a while, and Nehemiah is kind of getting to the end of the chronology of the Old Testament. Right. And then you have all these prophets. Uh, the prophets like fit back into the story. And so I think people oftentimes get confused. And so it's helpful to have kind of some handles on how to read and how to study the Old Testament, which I think you've done you've done well in kind of pointing out these uh, themes, signs, and promises of things that we can notice in the Old Testament that kind of run all the way through. And I think I think that's super helpful. And then you've also given like three important themes in the Old Testament, which are the temple, law, and kingdom. If, if we can understand kind of what is going on with each of these three things, with temple, law, and kingdom, I think it will be a great help, especially for our Christ Covenant uh, family, to, to kind of understand... Um, how to approach the Old Testament, how to read the Old Testament, and to make sense of of what's going on in some of the stories that are taking place. Yeah, and and I think you make a really good point. I, I just want to reiterate it. 
So, and again, this gets confusing too, because Hebrew scholars categorize books in a different way than like Christian scholars do. But I, for the purpose of this podcast, I would think that the, the simplest way to understand the Old Testament is this. You have narrative writing. Now, of course, within the narrative writing, there's all this other stuff. There's right. some mm -hmm. prophecy, there's some songs, but there's basically narrative writing that's kind of telling a story. So a book like Nehemiah, I would categorize, even though, again, that's what I'm saying, some Hebrew scholars categorize it in, uh, in a different place, but I would categorize it as part of the narrative story of the Old Testament, right? Then there's prophetic writing, books like Isaiah, books like Malachi, as you mentioned, there's the major and the minor prophets. And then there's what's called the wisdom literature or the writings, and this is books like uh, Ecclesiastes or Psalms or Proverbs that aren't really telling a story. They're not really prophecy. They're just kind of wisdom thought, wisdom literature. And to your point earlier, Barrett, there is a narrative scope of the Bible. But for example, like Isaiah, which comes after Nehemiah in the order of the books of the Old Testament, is really is before Nehemiah. You know, Isaiah is writing his things. He's, right. he's giving those prophecies before the book of Psalms also comes after Nehemiah. Psalms written long before Nehemiah. This is, of course, during the time of David, mostly. Mm. Um, and so anyway, that, that I think is a really helpful thing to say. There is a narrative structure that's kind of held in place by these narrative books. And then filled into that are the prophets and the writings, which are the, the two other really big sections of Old Testament literature. Um, so that's kind of a story. I don't know if you're going to say something. Yeah, I, I don't want the... I, I, I don't want people to think that like you have to go to seminary in order to understand all this or whatever, or you have to have some great biblical knowledge. Like you can, you can understand the, the framework of the old Testament just by, just by kind of learning a few simple things. And, and mm -hmm. I think, I think you'll have kind of the story of the old Testament in mind so that when you go to read parts of the old Testament, you'll kind of know where you are in the story. Right. Uh, right. So, Everybody, every Christ Covenant member can can understand kind of these basic frameworks that will that will help you to read the Old Testament. Yeah, and and I would say like to that point, um, that we're still on story arc here, and then we'll jump over to themes. But yeah. in terms of story arc, you you kind of have like a people use different terms to describe this, like a prehistory or or whatever. But I mean, obviously the the events that happened before Genesis twelve, I mean can go back depending on your understanding of the nature of creation, you know, a really, really long time, right? Mm -hmm. When did these events happen? The answer is we don't exactly know. Um, but then there is kind of what I would call like the formation of the people of Israel, which is of course kind of the book of Genesis, Abraham and his family. Um, and I would say that carries even into Exodus, the people of Israel going to um, Exodus and being relieved from the Exodus. That could be its own section if you want that to be. Then there's kind of the formation of the land, which is kind of coming out of Exodus, God dealing with the people, giving them the law, and which actually we see in the rest of the Pentateuch. Um, and so what, what we're reading about, for example, in Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy is actually that kind of pre-land time when God is establishing his presence or temple, kind of I've used that theme, and law among the people. Then kind of the post-Pentateuch, Joshua, um, they're going into the land. God's giving them the land, kind of through judges also. We see kind of people in the land pre-king. 
Um, and then God starts to establish what I would call like the kingdom setting, which that's kind of where you're in first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, this kind of kingly time that really spills into Chronicles. Now Chronicles built, takes us into what's called the exile. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the exile is in two manifestations. There's a a northern exile of the northern tribe, 722. It's called the Assyrian exile. A southern or the the exile of Judah, which is the Babylonian exile, 586. And again, a lot of the prophets are speaking. So stuff's happening. Other parts of the mm -hmm. Bible are happening during all this time. Um, but that's the exile period. Daniel is kind of written during the exile. And then now what we're in is a post-exilic period. And the post-exilic period really goes from... You know, we're in like the 530s right now, between the 530s and the 510s BC mm. is really kind of the Ezra Nehemiah era. Um, and so we're, we're kind of, but I would say the, the post-exilic period actually is from there um, until Christ comes, right? And and, right. and obviously the, the Old Testament, there's a pause, you know, the last Old Testament books were written, you know, 400 years before the the coming of Christ, but I would say that's all the post-exilic period of the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we get into the New Testament. So, I mean, I just gave you a, I don't know, what those three or four minute explanation, right. and that's basically the story. Yeah. Now, a lot's happening <laughs> underneath all of that, and there's a lot of interesting things that are happening, but I think just kind of understanding that story arc is really important. And then now flipping over to the other thing that I think is really important, um, is you're always kind of tracing. I would encourage people to kind of trace out themes, signs, and promises. So as you're reading the story, and I gave this example a couple of weeks ago, the offspring theme, mm -hmm. that's a theme, right? And it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Then mm -hmm. all of these things, there's signs, right? The, the sign of baptism, if you will, uh, the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea or Jonah, um, or, I mean, Jonah being saved from the sea or even Noah being, you know, passing through the judgment of God and, and, and being called to kind of a new life. Mm -hmm. That's a sign that is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Um, the Lord's Supper, right? Or the kind of Passover sign, uh, the sacrificial lamb sign. So mm -hmm. there's all these signs that you see in various ways that ultimately find their yes and amen in Jesus. And so I think that's important for us as Christian readers of the Old Testament to understand, the Old Testament has what I would call like this necessary tension that that wants to be resolved. Hmm. And it is resolved in the coming of Christ. Now, if you get all that, then you can read the New Testament and understand what's going on there, Correct. right? right. You, you, and so that's what I would say too, like some people you know, are trying to kind of divorce the Old Testament from Christianity. Um, which really you can't understand what's going on in Christianity without right. the Old Testament. And you really can't understand what's going on, you know, in the Old Testament without the New Testament. I mean, you you have to have the fulfillment of these things or or it just leaves you in this very like anxious, strange place, which I would say, and again, you know, with all due respect to my Jewish friends, like that's kind of what the Jewish religion is. It's this... There's some confusion. There's some tension. There's mm -hmm. some there's some anxiety that we see ultimately resolved in Christ. And I, actually, I think that anxiety is by design. Like the, the Old Testament kind of leaves you in this like, what's, what's going to happen? happen? Hmm. There's not a shalom resolve. And of right. course, we in the Christian life don't have the full um, the fullness of our shalom. But we've 
we have a sign of it. We have a taste of it in Christ that mm-hmm. we know he's ultimately bringing to fulfillment in the new kingdom. So. Yeah, I was, I was talking to one of our community groups recently, and um, I was kind of emphasizing the Jewishness of Jesus, that he was a Jew. Yeah. <laughs> and um, afterwards, I remember a guy came up to me and just said, you know what, I, I kind of forgot that Jesus was a Jew. Mm. And it's like, we do not need to forget this. Uh, he's following, Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole story of the Old Testament. And so right. it's really hard to understand Jesus and the person of work of Jesus and why he came if we don't have this Old Testament backing. And, and so we can't we can't divorce Jesus and just turn him into this like, general savior who just came to die for sinners on a cross right? Uh, because we miss so much of the story and of yeah. who Jesus is. And so we, we need to understand this story of the old Testament that's leading up and it's all pointing to and finding its right. fulfillment in Jesus. Well, and I, and I know we didn't plan to talk about this and maybe <laughs> Jennifer's going to say something yeah. super awesome here, <laughs> but like I, I, it, Okay, and I tried to kind of I, I tried to kind of get into this a little bit yesterday in my sermon. There's a we have kind of westernized Christianity. No, yes. I would say Christianity has some like Greek ideas, meaning that like we do believe in like justification, and we do believe in um, you know th- th- it's not just a kind of you know the the it can be believed and received by all people. There's a, there's a breadth to it, right? So it's not just the story of a people in a time and a place. The, the, these events can be applied to all people. And so that's kind of, I, I would say, more of like a Greek, you know, idea. But there is this Jewishness to it too, right? Mm-hmm. That it is a story, that it is a people, that there are events that matter. And I think that... Um, I think that it's easy, you know, in America to, as I said yesterday, to just kind of make Christianity a moral framework or a transaction. And we can forget that actually, you know, these themes like God is calling a people to himself. Mm. Um, these themes like law, like the, the actually what God has said that reveals the character is important. God's presence, you know, we can forget about communion with God. That was one of the things that I talked about yesterday. So right. like, actually, I think as we study the Old Testament, those kinds of things become more like, oh, like like prayer is important. You know, this yeah. is not just about like praying a prayer, walking the aisle, getting baptized. It's not just a part. It's not just some like transaction that you have to do. Hmm. Um, it's actually about communion with living God. Yes. I, well, what I was going to say earlier when you were talking about Jesus and people understanding, um, trying to divorce him from the Old Testament, um, just even seeing his life with as he interacted with the people of that day. And this is possibly because you know, it had been 400 years since they'd heard from a prophet and they had been in this exile period and this post-exilic period and where they couldn't go to their temple and they couldn't worship and, you know, until it was rebuilt and all the things. But even what that, the impact of God's presence not being in the temple um, that you talked about. But when Jesus came to those people, those Jewish people who were very clear that he was Jewish, how much they, they struggled not being able to take their Old Testament um, ideas and promises and see them fulfilled in in Jesus, <laughs> that even his own disciples. I mean, I was teaching a Bible study the other day about um, Christ's um, baptism and just you know how amazing that was that he 
came back that he wanted to be baptized for righteousness sake and that God said, you know, his voice came out from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And in that moment, he's quoting, God's quoting his own word in Psalm 2, which was talking about the king to come. And then Isaiah, in whom I'm well pleased, talking about the suffering servant and how looking back, what an amazing moment that is. Mm -hmm. But even for those people then, they're just kind of like, what is happening? (laughs) And when are you going to take the throne like right. when are we going to overthrow the romans you know they struggle with the same thing we do well, and, and what this is why it's so important yeah, yeah and i think that in a sense you know i talked about yesterday we can be so discipled by a western materialistic you know kind of mindset um that we can't think in in biblical ways in biblical terms we can miss right. the point which is communion with god but in a sense, those people were just being discipled by like the Romans and the Greek. I mean, they were being discipled right. by what they saw. Like, mm. you know, the the conqueror is Alexander the Great. The conqueror is, you know, Julius Caesar, right? The conqueror right. is the one that comes. And that's what our Messiah is going to be like, except for he's just going to be Jewish this time and not Greek, right? Right. And so I think, yeah, we, we, you know, when you, when you think about it in that context, it's like, well, of course they meant like, you know, just like we can miss it because we don't. And that's why finding ourselves in the story, in, the, in God's story, story. Is, is actually the thing that helps us to think rightly about the world mm. um, and why we need to be studying the Old Testament. That's great. Well, this is kind of a pivot. I have a question about uh, the sermon yesterday when you were talking about God's providence and blessing how do those, can you help us understand God's providence and maybe flesh that out a little bit more, how we understand that? You know, just just so you, if, if it makes you all feel better, maybe it's going to make you feel a lot worse. John <laughs> Piper, like, just published this. I haven't read it yet, actually, but I bought it. Um, I want to see It may be like, it may have been destroyed in my storage unit flood. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it, it's he just published this, like, massive, massive book, book, like yeah. six or 700 pages or something, maybe more like a 1,000 on God's providence. So this is something that it's hard to kind of, you know, condense into a podcast. But I think basically what we understand in God's providence is that God is, God is, it's really related to, I think, into his eminence. Like he's involved in his creation Mm -hmm. such in a way that, you know, he is working through all of these things to achieve this purpose, right? His purpose says. Now, we don't always know his purposes. We know some of them, right? Mm -hmm. We can read about them in the Bible. We don't exactly know how God's going to work everything out. Um, It it can be very troubling, I think, especially in in terms of hardship and trial um, to understand these things, you know, and, and, and so, but God is working through all of that for the sake of his purpose. That's a simple way to put it. Now, a lot of questions come up, right? Okay. What about bad things? Like I thought God was good. Now we understand God's providence working in such a way that God has created a world where he cannot sin. He cannot disobey himself, but where people can, and, you know, they're held responsible for that sin, right? Mm-hmm. We, we definitely see, like, human responsibility for sin in the Bible. Um, and we see consequences of that sin, right? And, and it's not—and and that's, I think, the thing that's interesting in God's providence. God does not protect his people from the consequences of their own sin. Um, and I think one of the reassuring things about the gospel, he didn't even protect his son from the consequences of our sin, right? There, there mm-hmm. are consequences for 
sin. And Jesus obviously came to engage in, if you will, the consequences for our sin. Now, what Christians, of course, believe is that one day all of this is going to be swallowed up in the victory of Christ. And we will in a live in a time and in a place and in a world where all where the goodness of God is only known, right? Mm -hmm. Always. Now, when I say the goodness of God is only known, it it will only be known in the it will only be presently known, but it will be known in the context of the sinfulness of man. I, I think in the New Jerusalem, for example, there'll be a reality that we have been saved from something. Mm. The, when the people of Israel cross the sea on dry ground, I think this is kind of a, and again, this is where story is so helpful to understand these concepts. That was cool. They, mm. they were probably like, this is cool, mm -hmm. right? But when they really understood God's particular mercy toward them was when they got to the other side, turned around mm. and watched the enemy of God, the Egyptians, being flooded by the same sea. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they could say, oh, wow. And so I I think that's this idea of death being drowned, if you will, in the victory of Christ. Mm. We will, on the day where all things are made right, be, be able to understand, man, we lived in this world that was full of misery and sin and, um, and wickedness and pain and suffering, and Christ has saved us from all of this. Now, how particularly God is working that out in his ways to achieve his good purposes, we don't exactly know. I mean, that's right. the thing. Like we can't, I can't give you a equation. Mm -hmm. Some of these things you may not understand until we see Christ face to face. You know, I, and, and, and I think actually I would, if you're listening to this, I would like try to free you of Romans 8, 28 everything, you know, God works <laughs> out all things. Uh, according to his, you know, for, uh, for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So that is true, but it it will only will only understand his purposes, if you will, when we're with him in the new Jerusalem, right? right? And so I always tried to, for a long time in my life, I'd be like, okay, well, I know God works out all things, <laughs> um, you know, you know, for if I'm if I love God and I'm called according to His purpose, then it's going to work out for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'd always be like, "Well, this bad thing happened, therefore, but that bad thing happened, so that this good thing would happen." Right. You know, like and I, I had this breakup, so that means that right, right. And actually, to be honest, like I yeah. thought about it in the context of you know dating, my dating a lot. Right, yeah, right. like okay, well, <laughs> like she didn't go out with me. That's because there's even a better, better girl, <laughs> you know. And so, <laughs> and so, right. I, I, you know. I think, yeah, I think you can like Romans eight twenty eight the world yeah. to death, and it actually can leave you like pretty discouraged um, because like you might get terminal cancer or right. like you might like be single and never right. get married. I mean, and right. so we won't understand like the fullness of God's purposes mm -hmm. until we are with him. And I think that like the Christian, yes, I believe that God, and we, and we should celebrate when God shows kindnesses to us, we, we kind of went around in staff meeting this morning and just talked about like just some little things like you and Matt having a great conversation. How like how awesome is it to be married to Matt McClish? Like what a kindness yeah. of God, God right. you know, <laughs> Barrett's about to get a new kitchen. Like what a kindness of God. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, like we should celebrate the kindnesses of God, but, but the present kindnesses of the Lord are not our ultimate hope. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's not our, where our ultimate destiny is. I think that's how Christians should live. Um, and I think if we live in light of that, we can understand that, look, God is working out all things according to his purposes. And one day, because I am one of his children, I'll be able to celebrate and enjoy 
love his purposes. Um, and that's where my hope is. Right. I think, I think that's actually why it, it's so important to read the Old Testament too and the New Testament because you see people of faith, like David, for instance, who, I mean, here he was, um, I mean, you know, he was this, this amazing king who received um, direct promises from God about his heirs. And um, so you think if anybody would be aware of what God, God was doing um, in a difficult time, it would be David. And yet he struggled with the same things, which we get to see through the Psalms that he was struggling with the providence of God, and yet he would come around oftentimes. I mean, there's so many verses, but one of my favorites um, is Psalm 25:10 that says, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who love him and keep his commandments. And yet he knew that he himself had not kept God's commandments yeah. and that he failed in his love. And yet that Psalm also ends with redeem Israel, O Lord. It's like he was a man of faith. He knew that God was doing something right. big and amazing and that all things would work out together for those who love him you know right exactly it's like even though like the full manifestation uh, of that would never you know what right, was happening right. way in the future but yeah. it was so much it's, it was so much bigger than him and you can yeah. see that in the old testament whereas if you just read the new testament you take the promises or the ideas very narrowly and, and just or one can. more thought on that and i know barrett's going to say something yeah. awesome but like i think that this <laughs> it's this transactional view of God that I think uh, the reason we wrestle with this is that we think like, okay, all I got to do is obey these five things and then God's going to make it work out good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I mean, even Nehemiah, like, you know, he, he, he recognized that our Xerxes was supplying all of this, the good hand of God was upon me and he was, but it's not like Nehemiah's story. It's not like <laughs> we're going to see, like, it's not like everything went great for Nehemiah. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it was a hard you know, road to hoe. So mm. anyway, <clears throat> no, I think Jason, you've shared some things on the providence of God that I've, I've found extremely helpful. And, uh, I, I just went back to Philippians two, uh, 12 and 13 that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works. And so you've kind of pointed out in the past that, the Bible does hold two things in tension a lot of times, but doesn't have a problem with that. Uh, two things that could be seemingly contradictory and doesn't have a problem with it. And so you work out your salvation for it's God who works right uh, in you. And so, and so it's these two things that like, I, I think sometimes in our Western mind, especially with like the law of non-contradiction and things like this, we just think, well, how can both of these things be true at the same time? You know, how can God be one and yet he's also three, you know, and our minds can't wrap around it. And so we're it's you know, we we struggle to to come to grips with it. But sometimes the Bible does have these things that they hold in tension and both of them are true. And I think I think the providence of God is one of those two that, yes, God is provident his his providence and his eminence is involved in all and he's overall and however we we also have a responsibility for our the choices that we right. make mm-hmm. and so we um yeah we have a, we have a responsibility there and so we hold these two things in tension and you know i would say and, and again i know we didn't plan to talk about any of this but i think <laughs> this is an important conversation hmm. if everything if nothing is up to you right right if there's no kind of human responsibility then you'll you'll be frozen you know there's the old joke, like the frozen chosen, right? You'll be a fatalist, right? Like 
why do anything, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. God's going to do what he does. And that's clearly not what we see in scripture. Right. If everything is up to you, then you'll also be frozen. You know, uh, I've given this illustration before. Um, uh, you know, Ray Bradbury has this little book, the, the Butterfly Effect. And basically it's like a short story about like, there's a time machine, you go back in time and he basically is like, don't step off the path. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you step off the path, you might kill a mouse. And if you kill a mouse, you'll kill a fox. If you kill a fox, you'll kill a lion. If you kill a lion, you'll kill a caveman. If you kill the caveman, you'll kill, you'll, you'll wipe out the Egyptians. You'll wipe out all of Europe. You'll, you know, there'll never be civilization. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but the, the point is, is like, that is kind of true. Like, like when you just think of everything, like, like, how did you meet Joe Beth, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you had to come to Southern Seminary. We had to have the party. She had to be in town that weekend. Right. I mean, like, it, it, there's so many little factors mm -hmm. that went into that meeting mm -hmm. that if it hadn't have happened, like if she just decided, I don't want to go to the party tonight, like y'all may never have ended up together. And, um, you know, what does that mean? You know, and so I think that you can, if, if everything is, determined by us you can be so frozen in that because it's so hard to say like well i can't do anything because what if i mess up this like what if i you know what if my one decision you know cripples a future civilization you know mm -hmm. and uh, and so i actually just think like the biblical posture of yes meaningful action god's calling us to take meaningful action there's a whole thing nehemiah is taking action right from a place of communion with god but rest in god's providence actually just leads you to this place of enormous peace yeah and i think even you know taking it you just mentioned Nehemiah but but kind of looking at the story that's taking place in Nehemiah and Israel particularly i mean we just see this played out the whole reason that Nehemiah is in a foreign land is because the people of Israel had had rejected their god <laughs> right. you know they had right. made unwise choices mm -hmm. but god still has this providential plan that's playing out through all of that and uh, and yet they go through this exile period, which was just a a horrific time in a lot of ways. And so and so you kind of have this providence of God that's stringing together this whole story, and he's 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 providential over it. And yet you have Israel that's making terrible decisions and then returning to God, and you know just having this kind of volatile volatile relationship. So you have you have both of them that are working out there. And and I think that's related. I think the last thing I want to talk about is this ecclesiological crisis that mm -hmm. the church was in. Um, our faith, American church, here's my critique, is so hyper-individualized mm. that we can never understand these things. Mm. Like you, when you start living among a people and working and acting among a people and seeing how your lives are intertwined and seeing how like the Lord is moving through these things, you start to understand exactly everything that we're talking about today becomes like very obvious and real to you. Mm -hmm. If you're only have some sort of like individual transactional view of, okay, I need to do this Christian thing, or if, you know, or it's like, I need some little inspiration. And so I go to this preacher. If, if everything's just Christian products that you sample, mm -hmm. I think all of these things are hard to understand. Like they, they actually become real to you when you're living out the Christian life in a community of believers, which is what we call the local church. Hmm. Um, and so I think that the ecclesiological crisis that we talked about is related to everything that we're talking about. The, the, it, it matters not just for um, 
God's purposes, but it actually matters for our understanding of God. Like you can't understand God in a sense alone, mm. really. I mean, you need the life of the body to bring what we read in the Bible to life. And, and that's because that's what we've always seen with the people of God. They're, they're all, it's always a people of God. It's not a, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, you know, Jesus was the person of God, if you will, but he, he always lived it. I mean, God is always in community. There's Trinitarian mm. community. Um, and then Jesus was a Jewish person. He was of a people. God's always working this out. Yeah. I think in, it, in this way, it, it would be interesting to kind of go down that rabbit hole of how our hyper individualism affects our view of the providence of God. Uh, because when when we get into this hyper individualistic mindset, we're very self focused, right? Mm -hmm. And we're very individual focused. Like you're just focused on me, and so kind of we just have this idea today in our society that like uh, even if we don't say it this way, but that the world revolves around me, and so we start with a a me centric view of the world, mm -hmm. and. That's not what the Bible is presenting. It's presenting a, a God-centered view of the world, a God-centered view of everything that's going on around us. And so if we can't understand that we are so, there, there's so many things that are connected all at once and we're just a very small part in this whole story, right. I think it's hard to it's hard to be able to step back and see that God's doing things that are so much bigger than us. It's not just right. about me. Well, no. you mentioned William Borden in yeah. your sermon a couple of weeks ago, and you read that story, like if you're just reading it from the William Borden perspective, and it's like, golly, this guy, he was so rich, um, and you know, he gave all his money to the poor. So there was, there was a, there's an effect outside of him, but he mm -hmm. never really got to do the missions work that he was called to do. What's the point? Well, that story in generations that followed, when I say generations that followed, like, guys that were young men reading about that story and following it, it inspired like a whole generation hmm. of young men and women to the mission field, right? Right. And so, and again, like that's just what we know. Like we can draw the line to that and say, okay, this guy that died before he got on the mission field right. in language school actually inspired, his faith inspired, God was working through his obedience to inspire dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds, thousands maybe, of men and women to the mission field that then he used in bigger ways. Um, and of course, there's other stuff going on that we won't know about until right. the New Jerusalem. Yeah. Right. So. Well, I was even thinking about just relationships. If you saw the world as God-centered, um, how that transforms your marriage. Hmm. Because so many times the problems that we get into with our marriage, it's because we're thinking this isn't working out for me like the way I want it. Right. Um, you're at the center and you're not happy. Hmm. And yet, if you see God working in your spouse and your children and your coworkers, um, you have this, you're trying to live in this reality with him in, um, you know, prayer and worship and delighting and communing with him. And your eyes are open to see, oh, God is working in people. And even in those very small, like even if it's just this one relationship, the, the fruit of that is incredible. Hmm. I mean, God doesn't, I think it's cool when we see like big movements and missions and all that, but he works in families. That's right. And one-on-one -on -one relationships mm -hmm. that change the world. Well, man, this has been super helpful mm -hmm. and uh, I'm excited about this little series we're continuing on. Yeah. Um, so we'll have this week, we're back in Nehemiah. 
And then next week we have uh, Russ Moore coming to preach, one of our old profs. That'll be great. Uh, and he's going to talk to us just about orphan care. And, and, and I mean, and that's one of those things too, where like, you know, it's hard to care for the orphans if you just have a hyper individualistic view of the world, you <laughs> yeah. know? Right. Um, so anyway, I think this is, I hope the, and pray that the Lord will use all of this just to do a great work in my heart and the heart of our leadership at Christ Covenant, and obviously in the heart of our whole church. So that's right. All right. Well, for Jennifer McClish and Barrett Fisher, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.